This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Don't you swear at me, you little shit! Don't you ever raise your voice at me! I am your mother! Do you understand? All I do is worry and slave and defend you, and all I get back is that fucking face on your face! Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in from Los Angeles, California. Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more with your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 184. Here's a Boo Crew fright fact. In 2018's A Quiet Place, the movie only contains about 25 lines of voice dialogue, although sign language dialogue is used a fair amount. This time around, we are joined by Mike Kerr, bassist and vocalist for multi-award winning rock duo Royal Blood. Their brand new single's out now, Trouble's Coming, has already amassed over 6 million streams, earning the cover of Spotify's flagship rock playlist and breaking the top 20 at alternative and active rock charts in the U.S. The Purple Disco Machine remix of the track is also available now. We'll talk about the band's upcoming third album that's on the way in the spring, their use of horror-inspired visuals like teaming up with adult swim artists for the gory Out of the Black video. We talk hereditary, a certain unforgettable McG scene, and so much more. Episode 184 starts now. Welcome and happy midsummer. Skull! The Boo Crew dusts a fright flick off the shelf for ah! Horror Homework. We're going to go around the room and around the World Wide Web all the way out to Leo in beautiful downtown Eagle Rock. 
back to each highlight a horror flick to each other and possibly even to you that we consider a must-see or perhaps worth a revisit starting as usual with Leo. Greetings, uh, freaks and ghouls. <laughs> what have you guys been watching? I've been watching my favorite pastime. I saw a little movie called I Camp. know what this. Oh, I thought you would do the exercise. Wow, well, yeah, I thought you were going <laughs> to... I thought you were taking us to church. Damn. Wait, what did you see? I watched Cam 2018. Ah, wow. Did you guys see this one? No. Mm -mm. My favorite pastime, watching Cam Girls online. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Are you going to say photography? (laughs) This one's uh, directed by Daniel Goldhaber, and it stars uh, Madeline Brewer as uh, Alice, Patch Derrick as Tinker, and uh, Boo Crew guest on episode 151, Melora Walters as Lynn. So this one is about Alice, played by Madeline, who's uh, known as Zombie Girl online, is an ambitious cam girl. She wakes up one day to discover she's been replaced on her show with an exact replica of herself. With a growing fan base, Alice sets out to identify the mysterious look alike and reclaim her identity. So this plays out more like a horror mystery. And it has um, a really interesting uh, opening scene. I'll tell you about in a quick, in a shortly. It, it touches on the uh, camera culture, and I think it, you know, it hits it right spot on. And, you know, in the opening scene, she's being paid in tokens, which is really, you know, money, but it's translated online as tokens to make, I guess, to make it legal. I don't know how that works. You know, you know, she gets tokens to perform sexual acts in front of the webcam, and uh, she's paid nicely for it by the ticking second. People are just giving her money just because, you know. So mostly she does it for her fans to make money, and boy, does she make money. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. One day day she wakes up, you know, realizing that her ID has been taken over, so this is where the mystery and twists and turns take place, both online and in real life. You'll just have to watch to see how this plays out. But I'll tell you this much. The interesting thing about how the camgirl culture is portrayed in the movie, if you're thinking, just by watching, if you watch the opening scene, five minutes, if you're thinking that the amount of money being paid to girls like that is not real, I can definitely tell you that it is. <laughs> I know if you go cam girls that have uh, made so much money in a short period of time in uh, in the age where sex magazines are dead, interactive ideas like this are thriving, and uh, that's wait, why this movie exists. Wait, <laughs> back up. You yeah. personally know people I do that are making bank. Wow. I do. do I know I do. these it's, people? Uh, we know a lot of the same people. Uh, no, no comment. <laughs> no comment. Uh, but hmm. no, no um, the majority of them, let's just say the majority of them that I know used to be like, um, what's that word? Influencer type girls, you know? Huh. Where it's like, here, take this, you know, take this protein powder, you know, look like me, you know, kind of thing, you know? And since that business is kind of dead right now because, you know, nobody's being paid, nobody's working, nobody's exactly jet-sitting to the islands and stuff. So it's like all of a sudden, it's like I'm seeing these things pop up and I'm like, really? I'm like, I'm like you, you, you made how much in one day? Like, oh, you wow. made my yearly salary in one day. And I'm like, are you kidding me? But it just goes to show you that, hey, people will pay for things, you know? Crazy. And, uh, yeah, it, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. So when I saw this movie, I'm like, yeah, this is not shocking or surprising to me at all. It's, it's like there's people with ideas and they just make money. They, you know, they just cash out, you know? It is crazy. But uh, the movie, yeah, it's, it's more like a horror, a horror mystery and uh, twists and turns. And 
I will say that it does have a really cool deleted scene that I kind of wish would have played out because it, it really would have turned the movie upside down. And it has to do with how or who this mysterious figure is revealed to be. And it's, let me just say, it's not even human. So mm. <laughs> if that would have been thrown into the movie instead of how the movie plays out, this, I mean, it would have just been like, whoa, I didn't see that coming, you know, kind of, kind of idea, you know, but it's currently streaming on Netflix. So if you are curious about this, uh, check it out. It's interesting. Cool. Before we get into the Fright Flick we watched, we also want to shout out a horror podcast we've recently discovered that we love. They're called Guide to the Unknown. They are a weekly show. It comes out every Friday, everywhere you get your podcasts. They talk all things spooky, urban legends, the paranormal, including a great episode where they take you through a seance they attended in a paranormal bookstore to one of our faves, episode 105, where they go through all the different incarnations of Disney's Haunted Mansion attractions all over the world. So awesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they talk about the one at Disneyland to Phantom Manor in Paris and Mystic Manor in Hong Kong, Disney. And they get into it, like diving into the experiences of the line queue itself. And one thing we love about this duo is the dynamic. They're brother and sister. And all their episodes are also available in video form as well. They recorded live on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern over at youtube.com slash talkbomb. So check out Guide to the Unknown with Kristen and Will. It's really fun. And I love that they're a brother and sister. Like, I love that kind of relationship. And I think about doing a podcast with my brother and that would be, I have three of them. That would be a train wreck. (laughs) Oh (laughs) my gosh. (laughs) Could you imagine? Like, I'm the youngest, so it'd be a lot of like lecturing and. I think Richard would be really good at it. But what would we talk about? He's got a lot to say. Yeah, that's right. You he know, does. He's got yeah. talking. All right. Yeah, he's like the uh, the voice of reason. And then like, uh, I'm not going to mention the other brother, but he's kind of like the one with the stories of like where things go wrong, you know? Right. He <laughs> <laughs> came a variety of topics there for sure. Right. It'd be good. Richard would dole out financial <laughs> yeah. advice and things. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. He would. Yeah. He's yeah. got some great stories. He, he reminds me a lot of my dad. My dad had lots of great stories. <laughs> All right. That's it. Ricky and I, hey. we're, we're starting a podcast. <laughs> right. But no, Kristen and, and Will, they have really good in-depth conversations and synopsis on horror movies. And I really like their dynamic and what they discuss and how they break it down and their opinions. They're really good at it. And it's it's very engaging. It's like once I, you know, I started listening, I'm like, I, I go, okay, what's next? Give me another episode. Give me another one. Give me another one. So yeah, if you like this stuff, definitely listen to them. They're really good. It's also cool to be able to interact with them on the video when they do the live stream as well when they record their episodes. Right. That's kind of a cool thing. That I wonder what, really, if we yeah. interacted with people, what, what they would say right now. That one person? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly why we don't, right? It's going to be probably nobody, actually, to That's be honest. Right. Well, off to the movies we go. Lauren and I checked out a new release to streaming in VOD. came out theatrically on October 30th, 2020, at time of release. Also a time with very limited theatrical openings and even limited theaters being open due to COVID-19. It's called Come Play, written and directed by Jacob Chase, based on his short film Larry, 
Now, Jacob won a contest with his commercial Doritos dogs that got him a directing mentorship with Zack Snyder on the set of Justice League. He's since made commercials for Sony and Beats by Dre, won the HBO Audience Award for Best Feature at Outfest with his feature film The Four-Faced Liar, and has recently sold an untitled Supernatural film to Paramount. Wow. Like Doritos, like the chips? Yes, the chips. Oh, my gosh. Our five-year-old loves Doritos. All she wanted for her birthday was a big bag of Doritos. And, and someone showed up with a, yeah. there's a big bag of Doritos so, with a bow on it. My friend Jen, oh, she knows how much Jade loves Doritos. And every year she knows just what to get her. And it's like the party size with a bow. Mm-hmm. And she hoards that bag of chips like it's nobody's business. It's still Don't not even, open. She like is afraid. <laughs> she doesn't want it to end. It's like a pet. Yeah. She like, she'll carry it around. I'm like, are you going to open it? Uh, maybe. She, but once she opens it, like you can't go near it. It's like her bag. She just won't let. She won't even let you have one chip. Are we sponsored by Doritos this week or something? That sounds like <laughs> no, a sponsorship. <laughs> I don't know. They should. Be I great. mean, it goes hand in hand. She likes Dorito chips and college football. So yeah, yeah it's, it's true. <laughs> she probably uses that big bag as a pillow at night too. Yeah, that's right. She would. She's a. She's an interesting child. She is, and born on Halloween. <laughs> Born on Halloween, doesn't really love Halloween. Not at all. She likes college football, (laughs) Doritos, and math. So Come Play is about a young autistic boy who uses a smartphone to communicate with people who discovers a mysterious app called Misunderstood Monsters telling the story of a monster named Larry. The app slowly reveals its secrets to the boy and his family. This film arrives under Steven Spielberg's Amblin banner, also under that umbrella. E.T., Goonies, Gremlins, Back of the Future, Jurassic Park, Poltergeist, tons of the greatest movies ever made. Most recently, The Haunting of Bly Manor is an Amblin feature. Hmm. I thought it was cute. Is that weird? Because I think it was cute. Maybe I think it was cute because we watched it with Scarlett. So the reason we watched this movie is because our daughter was obsessed with seeing it. I think it's like they must have ads on TikTok because she was sucked in like, oh, my gosh, this looks so good. And she's 11. And how so did you know it was kid safe? Common Sense Media. Yeah, that was a website that you look up and it's basically parents and kids reviewing movies. And it'll say if there's any scenes of violence or sexuality of any kind, and it'll kind of rate and review and go over. And they also have like, oh, this movie's good for kids. E- even though it's PG-13, kids ages 12 and up would be great for this. Or some some of the movies, kids ages 8 would be good for yeah. this. And then some of them are kids right. ages 15 and up. So we, we use it a lot, actually, as a good... Guide. Yeah, guide. Oh, cool. And so we decided... Well, she decided we were watching it. I I wanted to see it, too. I think it's a really good gateway horror movie for younger kids. And it sends a message about screen use because we have a lot of that going on in our home. And it makes me want to show our eight-year-old just to scare him but because he's obsessed (laughs) with his iPad. But we're going to hold off on that. It was fun. It definitely highlights a message of our disconnection with each other and our attachment to technology. But it also highlights a message of the love of a family. There's an incredibly little amount of on-screen violence, if really any at all. The lead character, Oliver, is played by G. Robertson. His parents by Jillian Jacobs and John Gallagher Jr. They all do an amazing job, especially Aji as the young boy Oliver. 
And the monster in this is really cool looking and is actually practical. It's a puppet made by Jim Henson's oh, no Creature way. Shop. I remember when I first had heard of the film, I was a little bit leery about that fact, yeah. thinking, oh, this is going to be a digital monster. But no, it's a straight up puppet. And that is really cool to see. It makes it really creepy, actually, when he shows up. And cinematography by the wonderful. Let's see if you can guess who the cinematography would be by, Leo. Rockstar cinematographer who does a lot of great horror. I know. but I, I mean, it'd have to be Maxime Alexander. There you go. Yeah. Right? He did Countdown, Crawl, High yeah. Tension. Did Bly Manor, five episodes of Bly Manor. He's done it all. The guy just, he just nails horror, man. He yeah. just like. He knows what the mood, the lighting, the angle, the camera, the lens, everything. He just, he gets it, you know? And I love that, you know? It's like few people can do that effectively to like really set the mood where it's almost a character by itself. Yep, exactly. Very well said. I would strongly recommend seeing Come Play. Like Lauren had mentioned, it's a gateway horror film you could see with, with your kids if they're in the range. Probably 11, probably the youngest maybe that I would show. Maybe a mature 10. And I also liked the character of Oliver. He's on the spectrum. And I don't see that in a lot of movies. And it showed, you know, we have some kid friends that are on the spectrum. And it was interesting to see that in a film. And writer and director Jacob Chase's wife works with kids that are on the spectrum, which allowed him to get close to the community over the years. It really helped him form the character of Oliver. Very cool. Hey, this is Mike from Royal Blood. You're listening to another terrifying episode of The Boo Crew. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a member of one of the world's most exciting and inventive rock bands of all time. Their first official single, Out of the Black, was released in 2013. They instantly became the most talked about band of the year, landing on BBC's iconic Sound of 2014 list. Tremendous accolades from their peers, including Arctic Monkeys, Dave Grohl, Tom Morello, who tweeted, I've seen the future of Riff Rock, and its name is Royal Blood after seeing them play an early gig at the Troubadour here in L.A. Their self-titled debut album went to the top spot on the national album chart and made it the fastest selling rock debut in years. They picked up the Brit Award for Best British Group, played Coachella, Rock and Rio, the main stage at Reading and Leeds in countless shows and several tours selling out within minutes. They cultivated themselves as an event to experience. Their inventive two-person approach of bending a bass guitar and drums into a threateningly massive and immersive wall of sound and being able to do this on stage won them Best Live Band at the NME Awards, a Q Award for Best Live Act, named Best New Band, Kerrang's Best British Newcomer, and more. Their second album, How Do We Get So Dark, came out in October 2016, going straight to the top of Billboard. The first single, Lights Out, also went to number one on the UK and US rock charts. The place they inhabit is this tempest of constant flux as everything they do seems to break down what was done before to start anew, finding inventive ways to bring their ideas to life. Listening to them is like mainlining liquid inspiration and it is what makes the experience they have built so thrilling. 
Sterling. They have a brand new album on the way. The first taste of it is a spectacular new track called Trouble's Coming, hitting over 6 million streams and a massive hit at alternative and rock formats internationally. We are honored to welcome bassist, singer, songwriter Mike Kerr, one half of the duo known as Royal Blood. Yeah! <laughs> the whole time when you were listing those achievements, I was just thinking, what went wrong? What, went wrong? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> it sounded like it was going really well. <laughs> it's going amazing, and it's even about to get even yeah. better with this new single and this new album. We cannot wait. So how does it feel, though, to let us in on this album, which to this point has been such an intimate thing for you guys these past months as you've been living through it? Yeah, it's been um, a totally different experience making this record for lots of reasons. It's, I guess it, it was strange recording it because we had to stop our recording process right in the middle of making the album and after quite a long time, to be honest, of waiting to get to that moment where we were going to finally cut the record. And, you know, the, um, the UK went into lockdown. So we were literally halfway through when we had to stop. And we went home because we felt like it was no longer safe to kind of continue recording. And then that thing called boredom kicked in, which I'm a big fan of. You know, I, I have memories of being incredibly bored when I was a kid, you know, I would beg with my parents. I'm so bored, like give me something to do. And that's kind of how I found music. You know, it was, it was the, the cure for boredom. You know, I grew up in a very kind of sleepy seaside town where there's literally nothing to do. So being in lockdown for me was like, I was kind of excited because I was like, I'm getting bored again. This is good. <laughs> and and I, we kind of had an album done and written. And I was like, well, that means I should go and write, but this could be for anything now. This doesn't have to be for the album. This could be for the fourth album. This could be a completely different thing. But I'm just gonna go and I'm just gonna go and write. And it was one of the, the most fun I think I've ever had writing music because it was so liberating, you know? There was really no rules to adhere to. And as a result, I think some of the best songs I've ever written came out of that. Me and Ben went back into the studio when it was safe to with three extra songs and this kind of hindsight on what we had begun recording already, which is a really unusual thing to have. Usually you, you kind of have the blinkers on when you're making a record and you don't really have perspective on what you just made until you're on the road, you know? So it was, it was, uh, we came back in like, this is what we're going to do to these tracks. Plus we have these three extra songs. So yeah, I feel like it was a really, we, yeah, we've never made a record like that. And uh, I think it made the material kind of more primal and more pure. It, 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 I, I truly forgot that anyone was going to hear it. It felt like, it felt like we were making the album we wanted to, to listen to in our own time. You know, we were creating what didn't exist for ourselves, you know, and to keep us entertained over, cause you know, at the time as well, it's like, who knows how long this is going to last for. I really felt like we made something for ourselves and um, 
so yeah, even though it's obviously screwing the whole world up, I feel like, yeah, we made, we made lemonade. What about production on this album? Have you guys decided to, did you guys self-produce or are you working with someone? It's a self-produced record. Yeah. Which is not something we really set out to do. I think once we kind of cracked the code of the kind of album we wanted to make, it became clear to us that we shouldn't have a producer. You know, we've always co-produced our records in, in the past, but I don't think we've ever wanted the sole responsibility of that. And so maybe it was slightly dodging that responsibility, but yeah, I think we had such a clear vision of the kind of record we wanted to make. And we were so careful about how we stepped forwards with our sound. You know, we, we really wanted to make something that felt fresh for us and felt like, felt like something we hadn't done yet. You know, we didn't, we, we hated the idea of putting an album out and people knowing exactly what it was going to sound like and becoming like good old Royal blood. We got that. We hated that idea. And it was like, it was time to like, let all of our influences be heard, you know, and kind of let, yeah, it almost felt like getting out of our own way. That's the best way I can describe it. Sure. I feel like before perhaps we'd censored the full range of our influences and censored our musicality a little bit. And this time it was like, yeah, we got out of our own way and had this clear vision. So the idea of putting, then introducing someone to get in the way of that seems pointless to us. So yeah, it wasn't, I guess what I'm trying to say is it wasn't self-produced based on any kind of ideas of like ego. Right, sure. <laughs> I would much rather have had a producer, but it, it wasn't necessary, you know. The Boo Crew will be right it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Back. We have calculators, rulers, laser scanners, and x-ray machines. But there is no way to determine the actual breaking point of the mind. So we caution you, come prepared, and don't come alone, as Filmways presents a six-and-a-half-hour battle between the world's most frightening storytellers, the Battle of the Horror Shockers. Four of the greatest tales of terror on one giant screen, the Amityville Horror. The Last House on the Left, it's only a movie, only a movie. The House by the Lake. And Deranged, the story of a mind gone berserk. The Battle of Horror Shockers. One by one, they will unfold their tales of terror. Hour by hour, you'll sit in sheer shock. How much terror can you stand? The Battle of Horror Shockers. No matter who wins, you'll lose your mind. Rated R. Part of the gravity of the music of Royal Blood is that there is a very cinematic and symphonic quality to it. You can take a song like Hook, Line, and Sinker, for instance. 
it sounds almost orchestral. The main motif is reminiscent of uh, something a huge string section would play. As we do talk about genre films and horror films on, on the show, is there something that informs you guys cinematically? Is there a cinematic influence on the band at all? I think we like drama. I think that's perhaps what, where that comes from. Maybe as well, maybe my piano lessons from the age of six and kind of that basic classical stuff also kind of probably subconsciously made its way into what we do as well. Things like the out, like the, the ending, the outro riff of Out the Black started in my head as a piano thing that was like a kind of like a piss take of like Mozart. <laughs> the kind of dum 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 Like to me, that's like, that. I think that's what it started as. And then, but then suddenly you translate it and put, put it on a bass through a fuzz pedal and suddenly it sounds like terrifying, you know? Right. So probably, oh, I, I love Queen as well. Like Queen was the, the, the band that made me quit piano lessons, you know, because that made me want to learn songs instead of other people's compositions. It made me want to learn how to play songs. So that as soon as I heard Queen, I just dedicated my life to learning Bohemian Rhapsody on the piano. And I must have been about 11 and just didn't see anyone do anything and, and just sat at the piano until I could do it. So maybe that kind of like drama as well comes from Queen as well. Like, like how, like how theatrical their music is, you know? Yeah. So theatrical, it like, would like make me laugh, like how yeah, over the top it was, you know? Where you guys put melody and how you decide to compose has more in common with classical music than it does with the traditional rock song structure, which is really interesting. What about the whole visual aspect of the band? You guys have done so many terrific videos and some of them even dip into the horror genre out of the black that we talked about that song. It's insane. It's a gore fest. And you teamed up with who, who was doing that? Someone from Adult Swim, right? Who helped animate that? Yeah, exactly. And it was, I remember that because <laughs> obviously we didn't have anything to, we didn't like physically make that video. But I remember the phone call being going on the lines of this idea of having it like half animated and then like half reality. But we were like adamant that it should be as gory as possible. Like, but only in the animated world, you know? Right. Because we wanted it to be like, we just said like, we trust you guys, we just make it so gory, it's funny. <laughs> No, <laughs> to the point where you're like, you're kind of removed from what's going on. You know, it's just like ridiculous violence. You know, are you yourself a fan of the horror genre at all? My girlfriend is like obsessed with, with horror movies. So yeah, I've definitely been put through my paces over the past year. <laughs> are there any recent ones that you've seen with her that you enjoy? Yeah, what was, um, <laughs> what was this? Oh, I can't remember what it's called. Now there was this one where, what was it called? This, there's, you'll probably know what it is from this scene. And if anyone's, I'm probably going to ruin the movie. But there's a point where this girl is like sticking her head out the window of a car. Oh. And it, it comes clean off. Hereditary, yes. yes. Hereditary, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that, yeah, that movie's intense, man. What did you yeah, think when you saw yeah. that? 
I didn't want to seem stupid, so I clapped at the end. <laughs> <laughs> A shocking slow clap. Right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Stuck. Cool. Let's watch anything else. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You need a cleansing after that. So the video, <laughs> the video for Troubles Coming, is inherently spooky. What can you tell us about making that? Yeah, it's funny. You know, making music videos is like it's so strange because when we're making music i don't have the video in mind i have like visuals in mind of like where i am or what maybe like literal situations i've been in so i'm kind of referencing the song but i guess when it comes to like cool we need to make, we should make a video i'm always like drawing a complete blank slate i'm just like i don't know like the only thing I can think of is like literally recreating what I'm saying. So it always takes us a while to work out what we want to do. And I think, you know, I think for us, especially with this video, it was really important that we were kind of playing in it and kind of, you know, we've been away for a long time. So we wanted people to like, and I guess as well, like there'll be people that haven't know anything, that don't know anything about us. And we're always being confused with, having more members or I don't know. People don't know that there's just, there's just two of us. So we, we kind of wanted to like reintroduce ourselves and make sure we were in it. But the concept I guess is kind of like super trippy and like hallucinogenic and kind of based upon like two different, like almost like split personalities and stuff, but without being like on the nose about it, you know? Um, yeah, it, it came out, it came out great. Um, Because, you know, videos are hard to make, you know. Everyone's trying to rethink of a new idea, you know. Last one I wanted to mention is Figure It Out, which is one of my favorite videos of all time. It's super exciting in the reveal. It's like a mystery that happens. And then you realize it's kind of this kidnappy making this violent escape, right? Her entrance and how it flips between the blues and reds and the filters and stuff was brilliant. Yeah. Do you like to sit and be a part of the process of coming up with the concept or do you like to put your songs and ideas out there and get those people feedbacking and and giving their different artistic interpretations of what they think it should be? Yeah, I guess, I guess at the beginning we felt like the video would be better off if we got out of the way Mm. because kind of like what I was saying earlier, that's not something we didn't even think anyone was going to hear our music, let alone have any success, let alone make a video. So it just wasn't on our, when it was like, what do you want to do with a video? We were like, we haven't, we haven't even thought about that, you know? And I think at that time, it was like, these videos are going to be better off if letting someone make it who's like, who's dedicated their life to making music videos and making, you know, making film like that. But then I guess now, having made a few and I guess having more confidence in how we want things to be kind of perceived. I guess we have a, a bit more, we, we allow ourselves to have a bit more of a voice in, in, in what things are, or if there's anything that like, <laughs> if there's any like red flags in the video where we're like, yeah, this is great, but like maybe take out that. <laughs> right. But it, what's interesting is it's, it's kind of developed this extension of the brand in almost like a cinematic, a mini cinematic universe of Royal blood, <laughs> which is very unique to you. All yeah, the videos yeah. have something in common and that's this grandiose cinema. And it's usually a little bit violent, a little bit bloody 
and very unique to the band. It's, it's a really cool thing and it continues to progress and evolve. Well, that's, that's good to know. <laughs> Let's get into this new book of the band. First chapter, Trouble's Coming. So first, why that song in particular? What does it represent to you as far as the calling card for Royal Blood 2021? It was the first song that we wrote where we felt like we'd kind of been given the key to the album. You know, I think, you know, we've been away for a long time and that there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of them was we were kind of searching for what to do next. And it was so difficult because we were in the dilemma of really not wanting to repeat ourselves. However, not wanting to destroy the sound that we had created and are known for. So it was like working out how to push that forwards without losing anything. And I think troubles coming ignited something in us where it felt so fresh by doing so little. (laughs) And it was like, we were kind of playing simpler than ever. And the feel of the track, I think was the secret ingredient. It was really the kind of much more kind of danceable. At, at the time, I think we were laughing because we were like, it sounds like a really aggressive DG song. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. <laughs> you know, we were like, it's like a really like alpha BGs. <laughs> when I played it to my mate for the first time, he said it was like listening to, or uh, this is actually a, a quote based on other songs on the record as well. He said it was like listening to ABBA in a K-hole. And it was kind of this like, it's disco, but it's kind of, but it's very like masculine and it's very, uh, well, at least the music is anyway, is very like heavy footed. But yeah, that, that kind of like dance beat that, that, that had like all this weight to it, that's what excited us because it was like, okay, hang on a minute. And we, it felt like all the music so much music we love that we haven't allowed to be a part of our band suddenly was allowed to kind of enter the room. And it was suddenly like the, 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 the yeah, these two worlds were kind of coming together in this really weird way. Ben, Ben started calling it AC disco. And as soon as he said that, I was like, yeah, but that's brilliant. I was like, I was like, that's the band I want to be in, you know, where it was like these like Sabbath riffs or these like, yeah, these really cutting kind of riffs going over dance beats. And it just felt so, it was just fun. And it felt, it felt like making the first album again, where it felt the kind of, it was all about, it was very like instinctual and a very like primal, you know, it, it, the only riffs that made it onto the records or the only melodies or beats were the ones that just kind of fell out or the ones that just kind of felt good. You know, there wasn't a, a lot of thinking going on particularly. I would love so, yeah, to talk about basically troubles coming was like the, the Eureka moment really that kind of kickstarted the record. I would love to get into anything that you've been putting into your brain during the evolution of this album. Maybe things you watched or read that maybe subconsciously crept into this new body of work. Things you found yourself yeah. leaning towards. I had this image in my head a lot making that song in particular, which was Sam Rockwell in Charlie in the in Charlie's Angels. The dance scene? <laughs> yes. Yeah. No way. <laughs> nice, I love that nice. scene. 
Yeah, me too. <laughs> that dance scene, like, it's like when I saw it, it just burned in my brain. And it was just the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. Like, with the red, sh- I mean, the red shades and the can of Coke. Yes. <laughs> like, and he's got the snakeskin boots on and he's just like, and he's an amazing dancer. And I just loved that idea of like villains dance and villains have a good time on their own. And I kept, and then it kind of started multiplying in my brain of like other images of like, like the bridge of troubles coming in my head was like what Darth Vader would like, like, Oh, <laughs> there would always be a point where I was like, well, surely Darth Vader at some point, has to go back to his like room on his own <laughs> and like wind down <laughs> like a long day on, you know, sort of ruling the galaxy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, terrorizing the galaxy. Surely there's a point where he like sighs and is like, fuck, and like goes and puts on a vinyl. And then I was like, what would the vinyl look like? And I was like, and then it goes on. And then in my head, it was like, there's going to be a point where he's, because when you're on your own, you, you do lots of weird stuff, you know, and dancing is one of them. People dance very differently when no one's watching. I was like, this idea of like him dancing, but it came from that Sam Rockwell thing. Just, I guess it was like villains dancing. That was, to me, was like brilliant. And, and, ma- and it makes them scarier. Yeah. <laughs> Way scarier. Right. You know, a villain being angry isn't scary, but a villain having a, like, the time of their life awful how did the collaboration with purple disco machine uh, for the troubles coming remix come about so he basically reached out and it kind of surprised us but also we were kind of hoping this would happen because i guess the the, the door we were knocking on musically with some of these new tracks being that kind of like kind of what i was talking about having that kind of more danceable thing we were also kind of reaching for those tempos that guys like him do all the time you know there's a there's a reason that they make music at that speed it's because that's where your body like naturally it wants to move so we had nothing to do with the remix and it was that's kind of what i like about remixes as well we've never done one before but this idea of like okay now it's yours and you just kind of do exactly what you would do with it and just like make it your own. And I hope that there's more of them because it's, it's never, whenever I get it back, it's never what you think it's going to be, you know? And, um, it's kind of cool. So what state is the album in right now? Is it almost wrapped up? Are you finding the COVID time has allowed you time to go back and toil over it over and over again and play with it more and dive in? Or have you finally said, okay, we're done. Yeah, we're done. We had a bit of extra time, I guess, again, because so vinyl production is like, excuse me, it's like super slow. So you have to kind of hand in your homework like really early <laughs> in order for them to make your vinyl in time. But we, we found out we had like three extra weeks and we ended up writing two more for the record. <laughs> again, for no reason. Like, and maybe I'm biased because they're new, but they're, they're absolutely slamming. So they've made it on the record as well. But yeah, we're, we're done. We're done, which feels amazing. And is there a target release date at this point and a rollout? Have you thought about 
what that future looks like in terms of even live performances and the virtual performances and just how you would put it out in the world? Yeah, we're looking um, to put it out in spring and hopefully have a couple more tunes out before then. Obviously, Trouble's Coming is kind of out doing its thing now. So, um, yeah, it's going to be exciting. Looking forward to making more videos. And we've started kind of rehearsing already in hope that we're going to do some kind of filmed performance thing, but we're still kind of working out how to make it cool. <laughs> uh, we have, I don't feel like we've cracked it yet, but um, it's difficult, you know, because ultimately you're emulating something that can't really be replaced. So it feels like a little bit of a, of a competition where silver medal is all you get at best. But given what's going on, and, and selfishly, for us, we want to play these songs together. So it's, it gives us an excuse to get playing together and start kind of bringing these songs to life, you know. So, yeah, we are, we are going to um, do, do something of that nature pretty soon. Yeah, going forward with uh, new music ideas, are there any plans to expand beyond what you and Ben create and add more people to the live aspect of the band? Or will you continue to keep it just the two of you? Well... Since the last record, we, we began touring with two backup singers because there was quite a lot of extra vocals and stuff on the last record. And it was awesome. And we felt like, because it, it worked so well live and didn't kind of interrupt the, any sort of chemistry Ben and I had on stage, it was almost like in the back of my head, I knew that adding extra layers of vocals and stuff was an option for this new one. And it's funny, there's a lot of extra kind of, there's more layers on, on this new stuff. There's more like, there's particularly some like keys parts that are kind of tucked in and kind of injected around our sound. Um, we were kind of like, how are we going to do this? And I don't know if you, if you know this, but when Ben plays live, he has kind of, they look like, they look like kind of rubber cigars. They're like these kind of pads that go next to his drums. And he has, he has um, three of them and he has a foot pedal as well. Basically, when he hits them, he can hit a keyboard stab or you can have like a hand clap or a sample that we've put in. And recently on these new tracks, I came into the studio and he's playing all of the parts <laughs> like an absolute madman and playing his drum parts at the same time. And like, he was like... Ugh. And and like on Troubles Coming, all those kind of string parts, and he's doing all of it. And I was like, you're a genius. That's the coolest. Wow. Kind of counting on the backup singers kind of helping us out a little bit, which is, they probably have to do a little bit of still, but, but like 95% of it is just going to be the two of us, which is, which is crazy. <laughs> uh, it's crazy. That is I'm still having a mild panic attack over... <laughs> And some of these new songs live because I guess they always just get harder as time goes on. Sure. I have one last question. Yeah. Just going back to how cinematic the music is, are there any film scores that really stick with you and might influence the music? Um, it's funny you say that because I had to make a playlist the other day of like tracks that influence Troubles Coming. And it was making me laugh because how random they are. But one of them was the <laughs> the theme of the Phantom Menace. Yeah. I realized, I was like, oh my God, maybe it's the... I'm, I'm not even named to Star Wars, by the way. I swear to God, I'm not a nerd. But 
oh, I am a nerd, but I'm not in Star Wars. Um, that but I was like, oh my goodness, that's clearly like crept its way in. The kind of... It's not necessarily um, my favourite film to go of all time, but that's definitely one that like has related to the music again. <laughs> a kind of like a disco version of that. What else do I love? I love the theme tune to Deep Impact. Nice. Yeah, I know the movie. I can't picture the theme. It's. I'm not going to embarrass. No, myself. you don't have to sing. <laughs> no, we're going to go listen. Yeah, we're going to check it out. We watch Deep Impact. It's brilliant. You know what I've been really looking for as well is a Deep Impact T-shirt. <laughs> I was like, that would be so rad. I just want to get these. Like, there was another one I wanted as well, which was a Dan. Do you remember that film, Dante's Peak? Yes. Yeah, I was like, fuck, imagine if I got a Dante's Peak t <laughs> Such a deep cut. <laughs> one person. Right. Yes. Just curious, before we go here, what would be your one of your favorite films of all time to watch? Something that you find yourself going back and seeing over and over again. It's funny, you know, I've always been obsessed with Back to the Future. That was like my go-to. And until I saw that film, Green Book. Green. And my girlfriend takes the piss out of me all the time because I'm, well, we just keep, it's like very Christmassy as well. And I keep watching and I'm like, fuck, I think this is my favorite film ever. It's insane. I think they just spend the whole time in a car as well. And I love movies that are just constantly traveling. Maybe it's because I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. always on tour. And I'm like, <laughs> but, um, and it is about musician as well. So yeah, but yeah, loads of movies. We'll wrap it up here. Thank you again so much for your time. We yes. appreciate it so much, and we're yeah, so excited to hear the rest yes. of the album, yeah. man. We can't wait. Awesome. That was the Boo Crew Podcast episode 184. Special thanks to our guest, Mike Kerr, from the band Royal Blood. Follow at Royal Blood UK on Instagram and Twitter and check out their new single, Troubles Coming, and the Purple Disco Machine remix everywhere now. Music for this episode from Royal Blood. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying a sweet scream. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew, for horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.